Welcome to Waypoint. You're here on a day where we're obviously doing something different. That's good. I want to give you a quick announcement, and then we're going we're gonna to jump into it, because there's a lot that goes on with this meal, and uh, we can't take time getting at it, okay? Uh, first, I just want to say uh, thank you to the group of people who are uh, helping prepare this. This does not get done quickly unless you have a lot of people who are helping. And right now, we have a lot of people who are helping. So would you join me in, in thanking them for all of their hard work? I'm going to go through this fast, okay? Uh, on Wednesday of next week, Women's Gathering, the 21st, which is, is it Wednesday after all? I always say that, and then I doubt myself. Is it is Wednesday? It's a Thursday. So I had doubt for a reason. The women's ministry is getting together. If you want to meet other women around Waypoint, go get some information on that. It's at a person's house. You can go and get to know some people that way. On the 21st, 24th, Sunday, we're doing another spiritual gifts class. So if you want to know what kind of gifts you have, how God's made you and engaged you uh, to serve, you can go find that out. Sign up for that. That same day, we're starting a small group. So if you've wondered, how do I get connected into a small group, just sign up for that. We'll start. It goes for five weeks. Anybody can do anything for five weeks. And at the end of that time, we'll help figure out where you can go to connect with other people. It'll be great. On 4.30, uh, which is, I think, a Saturday, the new Paris Speedway, the guys or uh, men's ministry are going to that. You don't have to be a guy to go. If you want to go as a couple, you can go and watch that and be involved in that. But that's something that you could be engaged in. Over the next few weeks, there's going to be some serving opportunities. There's a group that's going down to Indy to help with homeless teenagers. If that piques your interest at all, find out about 91 Place. Get on board so you can help with that. Uh, there is King's Barbecue where we're doing um, a fundraiser for mission trips. We help stipend people's trips so that more people can go. We keep the cost low. This is one of the ways we do that. So if you're interested in helping out with that, you can do that. We've never done this before, but in May... I think it's May 4th on a Wednesday, we're doing another baptism. This is for students, but it's not just for students. So if you're an adult and the, our fall time where we do our baptism, it's the same every year in that same September. If that doesn't work for you, you can sign up and get this thing in in May. Like, be a part of that. So if you're interested in that and you've been wanting to do it for a while, but it just hasn't worked out, this is an opportunity for you. Talk to anybody else on staff. We'll figure it out. We'll talk to you about it, and we'll get you signed up. All right? So lots of stuff going on that we want you to know about. Um, and this morning, we're doing something a little bit different. We're not going to start with worship. We're going to start with a Passover meal. Uh, this meal is something that we've done uh, maybe for four years now as kind of a tradition and uh, we're jumping on board something that's been around for 3,500 years. This has been practiced that long. It started uh, with Moses. And God actually instituted Passover and said, hey, I want to create this thing. He actually created the boundaries, the way it would be done, how exactly they would go about doing it, and the charge to remember it. And it all started because we just got done talking about Joseph. Joseph's family had come down to Egypt, and it was going really well at first. But then a pharaoh who didn't know about how good Joseph had been to the country came to power and he enslaved the, the Israelites. And they were slaves for a long period of time. They were enslaved for like a couple hundred years. They were um, slaves. And so um, 
they began to wonder, are we ever going to be rescued? And God decided that he was going to free them. So he sends Moses to Pharaoh who says, set my people free. Moses does not want to lose his free labor, refuses that. And so God starts to visit plagues on Egypt. Maybe you've heard this story. The first three plagues everybody experienced. Um, water turned to blood. There were frogs everywhere. If you're a frog lover, that's great for you. If you're not, they're in your clothes, they're in your house, they're everywhere you're turning. And then gnats. I don't know of anybody who likes that, but have you ever been somewhere where a gnat's been flying up your nose, that sort of thing? That's their life. Everybody experienced that. But when the fourth, when the fourth uh, plague came around, flies, God decided to differentiate. He decided to separate out the nation of Israel. And it says this in Exodus 8.22, But on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen. This is where the nation of Israel lived, where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there, so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in this land. And from that point forward, the plagues that kept coming into Egypt, only the Egyptians experienced. The nation of Israel they didn't. They didn't have all of these terrible things happening to them. And yet, Pharaoh refused. You cannot take your people out of here. And so God sets one more plague. And this is where it gets weird. It's the worst one. People are going to die. God's going to bring a death angel through Egypt. And the oldest son in every family would die. The oldest animal Born, the oldest animal in a, like a herd, would die. Like there was going to be death and stench everywhere, heartache everywhere. And we know that God could separate Israel out, but he chooses to include them in this. They're also now facing death. And the question is why? Why, after God had shown himself so faithful to separate them out, does he bring them in for this last and final plague? Why would you do that? Well, it turns out that these people, they learned, they memorized, they understood things through images and pictures, and God was providing an image and picture for them. He was providing something that they would be able to understand, that they couldn't free themselves, that, that there would have to be a sacrifice in order for them to be free, and that God would be the one who would be bringing them out. And so he has them go and get a goat or a little lamb, either one. They were to sacrifice it, and they would take the blood and put it on the doorposts, here, here, down below, off to the side. And they were to be inside that house, protected, so that when the death angel came over, he would see that you're being obedient to what God had to say. You're keeping this picture, this image that God wants and you would be safe. And because of that, um, the, nation of, or the nation of Egypt was devastated, but Israel was not. They were saved. And it was at that point that Pharaoh said, go, leave, get out. And God came and said, listen, that meal, that Passover meal that you started, I want you to practice that Every year, I want you to repeat it over and over so that you'll remember the image. And he actually gave instructions. Tracy's going to go over some of those instructions. They, we don't do all of these today, but they would have done that. Some of the things that she's going to read to you for a thousand plus years, 
they would have done the same thing year after year. Here are some of the instructions. So we're going to look at the book right after Genesis, the one we've been in, to Exodus 12, verses 5 and 6. And this is what it says. The animals you choose must be a year-old male without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats and take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Now, remember, they have this animal in their home for a couple weeks, get a little attached to it. Then they're to take some of the blood of that lamb and put it on or goat on the sides and the tops of the doorframe of the house where they eat the lambs. And that same night... They're to eat meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And if you drop down into verse 14, it said, This is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival for the Lord, a lasting ordinance. A festival to the Lord, slaughter, blood, wiping it on doorposts and then eating. What is this about? Something profound was happening, if you remember, when the Bible causes you to question, dig deeper. The festival is celebrated today because God wanted to establish a picture for us, like Blair talked about, of a plan to rescue his people. And it came at a great price. And throughout this whole meal, we'll find connections to Jesus, our sacrificial lamb. And we'll see how the symbols point to him. A lamb, blood sacrifice, protection from death freedom, and hope. At the current Passover, a quote will help us put this all into perspective. In every generation, one is obligated to see himself or herself as though he or she came out of Egypt. So let's take that to heart and make this time today personal. It's not ancient history. It's about your life. It's about my life. Egypt is a picture of us being enslaved to sin. Enslaved. So let's come to the table to remember and celebrate that we have freedom from that sin and that slavery. And let's gather together and set aside any current realities that are outside of here and remember there is beauty and power in learning from history, especially his story of living and moving in humankind. So for Jewish people in Egypt, they had no freedom. They were slaves. No choice. They were forced to work for hundreds of years. Now, we've had a couple of tough years with COVID. We've had some things that we've had to face. But generations of Jews were born and lived and died as slaves. And when they were done, they would just get a new one and work them and work them until they were done, throw them in a grave, get a new one. And they believed that God had abandoned them. I think I would have too. They wondered if he'd even be happy with them. Could they let themselves hope that things would ever be different? Remember the lamb, the one who stayed in their home for 14 days. That lamb or goat was sacrificed and the blood placed around the doors of the Jewish people who had felt abandoned. What was God doing? He was protecting them with that blood. And they felt at peace for the first time in a long time when they laid down. And it led to hope and a taste of freedom. And that freedom would spread to all of mankind. It would become part of our story. Like the lamb, Jesus' blood is washed over our hearts to protect us from forever death. He brought us to forever freedom, and that is worth remembering and why we come. So today we're doing kind of a hybrid Passover, and Blair's going to lead us through the next part. Yeah, we're, we're using notes. If, they were, if you went to a Jewish home right now, they would actually use a pamphlet 
uh, to go through this to make sure that they were getting the right processes down, all that sort of thing. So we're just trying to do some of that as well to make sure we stay on track. But before the meal could even be prepared, some of the stuff that you see on your table, before it would even be prepared in the home, they would take, the kids are going to love this. Parents, you have an excuse. Like, you can get your home cleaned for Easter, right? You can tell them it's a Passover thing. And uh, what you would do is they would take this so seriously. Um, what they were trying to do is make sure that there was no leaven in the house. That's the, that's the part of the bread that makes it rise, and for us, we would call that yeast. And most of us don't make bread. So we don't, we don't have a lot of yeast hanging around. But you would have bread that's been baked. And maybe parts of that are in your house. None of that could survive. You would have to get that out. So a Jewish home has been known to actually take toothpicks and Q-tips. And they would clean everything as best they could to make sure that there was no leaven in the house. Why? Because in the scriptures, leaven is used as a picture of sin. And they wanted to make sure all of that was out as they went to practice Passover before God. So you all have a little Q-tip in front of you. Can you ever all find your Q-tip? I want you to use that to start rubbing the table, cleaning the table a little bit, and you're going to um, kind of replicate how a Jewish family would go about cleaning up the stuff. Like they would clean up their home. And I want you to make sure that you catch the imagery of this. This is not about cleaning the home. This is about scrubbing your soul. This is about making sure that you are right before God as you celebrate his goodness and grace to you. So here's what I want to do. I want to go ahead and put that toothpick down for just a second, that Q-tip. And I want you to just bow your heads, and I'm going to give you 30 seconds of just silence for you to examine your hearts Take it before God and say, is there anything I need to clean up between you and I? Okay, now that the internal house is in order, they would actually prepare the meal. All of the things that you would see there, the chair, so they would actually prepare a very large meal that they would eat together. And let's fast forward and get to a place where Passover would start. For Passover to start, it always starts with a woman. I'm grateful Tracy's being willing to help me year after year with this. Uh, but she's going to get our uh, mini Passover started. All right, so would one lady at your table stand, please? And if you don't have one, you can borrow from someone else, a different table. And if you would be so kind as to find the matches that are on your table and light the candles and remain standing. And we'll all say a prayer together once we get these candles lit. We'll, we'll have somebody help you. Oh, do you want to move to another table? No, they can, she oh. can, yeah, light them oh, up, okay. light them up. Awesome. Thank you, Jenny. Perfect. Okay, good, good, good. All right, we got them all lit? Almost, we're getting there. Stay standing for just a yeah, second, ladies. stand, because we're going to pray together in just a minute. There you go. Awesome. Okay. All right. So, <clears throat> yep, you got it. Okay, the prayer is up on the board. I think everybody has been lit. 
I think that means something else in today's terms, but I'm not sure what it means. But if we could all say the prayer on, on the board. All right, you ready? Blessed are, are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us that we kindle the holiday lights. All right, lady, great, ladies, great job. You may be seated. So why does the meal start this way with a lady ushering the beginning of the meal? Let's think back to pictures and images. A woman, Mary, introduced the light of the world, Jesus, because she was willing to obey God the Father. So let's think about this. Her honor of God's story brings across her path a man named Simeon, who was a devout and righteous man, who shared with her a significant image of her baby boy. He looked at Mary, and in Luke 2.32, he told her that Jesus would be a light for the revelation of, to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Jesus, a light for us, a light for all. The Passover starts with a woman bringing light. Mary was a willing servant of true light, and Jesus is that true light. Can you see him there? Yeah, 1,500 years before Jesus is born, a woman is lighting a meal at Passover. The imagery uh, foreshadowing is pretty incredible. Now I need a guy to stand at the table. I just need one guy who can stand up and pick up the first cup. Uh, don't drink it. Don't do anything with it. Just pick up the first cup. And um, initially, we're going to say a prayer over, over the cup itself. So um, it's going to be on the screen. Guys, repeat this with me. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Now, uh, the meal starts with thanksgiving. This cup is called Kadesh, and it signifies God's promise to free them, to bring them out of slavery. And so they would drink this knowing that God has sustained them for a period of time as slaves so that they could be free. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray over this um, there's another prayer that goes to this cup. Then we're going to serve it into the small cups that everybody has. Once everybody has that, then you can all take it together, remembering how God has sustained you and given you freedom. So let's do this prayer first. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us in life, sustained us, and enabled us to reach this season. Go ahead and serve everybody at your table. Once everybody has some, then you can take. And remember, this is about remembering how good God has been to you, how he's gotten you to this place in your life so far. So once that's done, guys, you can have a seat. And then I want you to turn to each other and share how God has enabled you to get through the last year, what God has done to bless you in the last year, how, where have you seen the goodness of God in your life in the last year? So we're going to give you just a few minutes to do that. Turn to each other. What, how has God sustained you for one year? Talk to each other. Some background music would be great.
I think I, I think it was I think there was sauce behind that. Yes. It's good to reflect on how good God has been to you. So I um, hope you make that a practice, but let's continue on uh, with Passover. They would do this in their families too. They would have these conversations. All right. Traditionally, you would be asked to wash your hands in a basin of water. So I'm just going to show you what that looks like. I'll clean that up because we are highlighting the washing of our hands with wet wipes instead. So if you go ahead and pick one up and wash your hands, that'd be great. And when they are dry and your table is ready, what you'll do next is peel off a piece of parsley, and then I'll tell you what to do with it. You'll hold it in your hands. So clean your hands, then you'll take a piece of parsley and put it in your hands. So the green item is known as the carpas, and it symbolizes life. And on your bowl, or on your table, is a bowl of salt water, and that, thank you, and that stood for tears. A slave's life was hard, and their life was drowned in dirt and in pain. And when you're trapped by slavery, life is full of tears and pain and dirt. Now, washing hands was really significant to them because they were actually free to stop the work and clean them. So once you have your carpus in your hand, what they would do is then take their calloused hands hold it and clean their hands in the water and they would actually dip twice Dip twice yep and then they would eat it today as believers we took Ooh. time to cleanse our hearts <laughs> we remember that our new life um, begins when we let him clean us and we remember that our new life comes through tears because jesus died for us and set aside the sin and he because we want to work hard enough to earn that, but we don't have to do that. We can set that aside because only Jesus is good enough to take us. He sacrificed to free us, and that's what we remember with the parsley and the salt waters of tears. Uh, the next thing is done by the youngest person at the table. So because it's all mixed up, now we get the fun part of that. Find out who's the youngest person at the table. All right. And uh, so you see the pile of matzo bread right here. There's, there's three layers. I want that person to find the middle layer. There should be a matzo in there. Take and break it in half and then set that matzo off to the side. You can put it up by the juice or something like that. But set that matzo aside. The youngest person should be doing that and they set it aside. Uh, nobody knows when this tradition started. I suspect why and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But this piece would be brought back later. We'll eventually bring this piece back, and then we'll talk about why I think it's significant. It's called the afikomen. This is practiced by modern Jewish families right now. They take out the middle piece, they break it, and they have it um, set off to the side somewhere. So that is something that's practiced. All right, now it's time to tell the story of the Passover. And there are four key questions that are asked and answered. One person would normally begin that story. However, this is not traditional. So we would like everyone to repeat the words on the screen to usher in the Passover story. Ready? 
There arose in Egypt a Pharaoh who knew not of the good deeds that Joseph had done for the country. Thus he enslaved the Jews and made their lives harsh through servitude and humiliation. This is the basis for the Passover holiday which we commemorate with these different rituals today. Now, the youngest person will ask four very specific questions about the Passover meal. So youngest at the table, whoever you are, will you help me repeat these questions? Ready? Why is this night different from all other nights? Number one, on all other nights we eat either bread or matzah. On this night, why only matzah? Two, on all other nights we eat herbs or vegetables of any kind. On this night, why bitter herbs? Three, on all other nights, we do not dip even once. On this night, why do we dip twice? Four, on all other nights, we eat our meals in any manner. On this night, why do we sit around the table together in a reclining position? They would use these questions as jumping off points to tell about the story of Exodus. They were very key things they wanted to make sure were retold. Uh, one of those is a little bit different. It was the last question, why aren't we reclining? Well, you're not reclining, but you are sitting. And this would have been, this would have been different for them. As a slave, you didn't have that privilege. And in fact, the first Passover, they did it with like girded up, ready to go. But after they were free... Because this was a Middle Eastern culture, you would actually lay down and have this meal. So uh, there would be pillows, you would, you would be laying down, and it would signify that because you were free, you could eat this meal in leisure. And they would talk about how significant it was that you were freed from slavery. So all of these things um, kind of would be brought up, different people would share. Before they would do that, though, the group, right after this, the group would recite um, a, a standard answer, and then they would get into answering all of these questions. So we thought we would at least recite the same thing that everybody would at the table before they would start that process. So let's all raise our voices together. Ready? We were, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and God brought us out with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. And if God had not brought our ancestors out of Egypt, we and our children and our children's children would still be subjugated to Pharaoh in Egypt. Even if we are old and wise and learned in the Torah, we would still be commanded to tell the story of the Exodus from Egypt. And the more we talk about the Exodus from Egypt, the more praiseworthy we are. So now I want to make it just a little more personal. The words that we recited will be phrased in a different way, just for you, just for me. So I want you to just quiet your hearts really quick and listen to the words and absorb them. And maybe even ponder them like Mary did so long ago when she held that baby Jesus in her arms, the light of the world. So I'll read these words to you. I was a slave held by sin, and God rescued me with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. If God had not brought me out of sin, me and my children and my children's children would have no hope. We would all be owned by sin. 
Even if I follow Jesus for years, I'm wise, I study my Bible, I come to church, I would still find it necessary to remember my freedom from sin. And the more I talk about that freedom from sin, the more filled from, with praise that I would be. Ba-bum, ba-bum. Can you hear his heartbeat in that? No matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter who you are, who knows you or doesn't, no matter what story you tell yourself, his heartbeat can be inside of you. Nothing matters without him beating out his life in our very core. Ba-bum, ba-bum. His story of hope, our freedom, and his great grace living in us. The story of the Passover would continue for some time and they would recall details, and they would talk about crossing the Reed Sea, and they would discuss how God led them in a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day, and they would talk about how they left Egypt with Egyptian wealth because God gave it to them on the way out, and they would bask in their freedom. They would interact and play off of one another, the kids and the adults, back and forth to create interest in the story, and the meal might go on for three hours. We don't have three hours, so Blair's going to fast forward a little bit and tell us a little bit more. Yeah, this time, um, in the past, what I've done is I've maybe taken one of the four questions and I've given you kind of the historical way that they would answer that. Like, the why do we dip twice? It has actually something to do with Joseph's coat and the blood, and we've talked about those things. But I've noticed a theme in here, and I was reading um, some stuff that a rabbi was writing about the modern Passover telling and I was struck about um, the scripture that they use for that. They're telling the story of Passover, of what God did for them. Where do you think would make the most sense that they would go to retell that? Probably the story of Exodus, right? Because in Genesis, it's stories. Exodus, it's stories. In Leviticus, it's law. In Numbers, it's law. In Deuteronomy, it's law with stories at the end. But it turns out, that the modern Jewish retelling of this actually comes out of the law. They're doing something that they were commanded to do, and it was a law um, in Deuteronomy 26. It was about their first fruits. If they would go and plant a new field, and there were crops that came in that field, you were supposed to take that first fruits. And this is what it says. In verse 2 of 26, it says, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land, the Lord your God is giving, and put them in a basket. And they were to take this and present this to a priest, and when they did, they were told they had to recite this long thing. And it was all about the Passover. Um, it starts in verse 5. My father was a wandering Armenian. That's Jacob. He left Canaan, came back to Canaan, went down to Egypt. He's a wandering guy. Um, the section of Scripture talks about how they were oppressed in Egypt. And in verse 8, it says, So the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Remember, this is a farmer who's been farming, has crops, and is now bringing them to the temple. And he's required to recall the Passover. And it ends by him saying in verse 10, Now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Why? When the modern retellers are telling this story, do they pick this section of Scripture to focus on? I think there's a pretty good reason for it, and it's actually it's a theme that runs throughout the whole um, Passover story. I just want to really call your attention to it. 
when we take the Passover meal like this, uh, it's easy for you to look back over history and think that it's just about some details. It's just about some dry facts. And it's not personal in any way. But the perspective of this farmer who was bringing his first fruits, he was doing that because he was being reminded that the only reason he was free, the only reason he had first fruits in the first place, was that God had set him free. He was an extension of the story of the Passover. He was living proof of that freedom. And because he was living proof, he was telling that story as he presented that offering. Now here's, um, here's the connection I want to make. I believe that you are living proof of God's goodness. You are living proof of God's sacrifice on your behalf. And when we practice this, when we remember this, it's, a, it's supposed to be personal. This is about how you live. This is about how when you go to school, you, you do it in a different way. When you go to work, you're in a different way. When you interact with your family, when you go to the grocery store, the way you drive, you're a reflection of the goodness that God has been doing this whole time in your life. And it's supposed to show up. And so like the farmer who seemingly was doing something that wasn't connected to the Passover, he was being asked to remember that the goodness of God was why he had those first fruits in the first place. And the goodness of God is why you have what you have. And I hope you'll remember that. I hope you'll use this Passover that asks you to take this really personally to prepare your hearts as we come up on Easter. Uh, there would be another, uh, all kinds of retelling that would take place. Uh, one of the ones that uh, we're going to do for you, Tracy and I are going to do a recitation that you might hear in a home that would go back and forth between two people, again, recalling the goodness of God. So it would start like this, and Ben, you can get ready to help us here. If God wouldn't have taken us out of Egypt and not executed judgment on them, it would have been enough for us. If he would have executed judgment upon them and not upon their idols, it would have been enough for us. If he would have judged their idols and not killed their firstborn, it would have been enough for us. If he would have killed their firstborn and not given us their wealth, it would have been enough for us. If he would have given us their wealth and not split the sea for us, it would have been enough for us. If he would have split the sea for us and not let us go through on dry land, it would have been enough for us. If he would have let us through on dry land and not drowned our enemies in it, it would have been enough for us. If he would have drowned our enemies in it and not provided for our needs for 40 years in the desert, it would have been enough for us. Each thought is a reminder about how God's abundant goodness lives and shows up in our lives. And in their retelling of what God did for Israel in the Exodus story, God's love was evident in freeing them. And he shows us that same kind of freedom. He came, he died, he rose again, and then he adopted us as children. Amazing. He freed us from our Egypt. God's love was expressed so recklessly. I can't, I can't even imagine it. He came fully knowing he was a sacrificial lamb. He was all in from the get-go. The Passover meal foreshadows Jesus. He was a sacrifice for us. 
And during Passover, there's a time to express our praise to him. And that's what we'd like to offer you right now as an opportunity to sing, express your love and your gratitude to the lamb and his sacrifice. Feel free if you're online to join. If you would all stand with us, that would be great. Yeah, they would do this in their homes. They would actually sing songs as a family. So that's what we're going to do here. As the storytelling part winds down, there were explanations about some of the items on the plate, and we're going to highlight three of them. So, in each of the items, I'll also tell you about the symbolism of Christ. So, we have the pretend shank bone right here. It symbolizes um, the sacrifice of the one who gave his blood so that they, the children of Israel could be spared. So, Jesus, our sacrifice, gave his body to spare us and protect us from eternal death. Then we have the matzah, that lovely flat bread in the middle. I mean, it's to remind everyone, or remind the children of Israel that they had to hurry to make the bread. There was no time for the yeast to rise. Um, they had to move right now. And it reminds us today of don't drag your feet in considering your need for God. Don't drag your feet. There's lots of people here that can talk to you. Think about it. Then the mara, that lovely little white hummusy stuff, um, also is the bitter herb mentioned in the first Passover, and it was there to recall the bitter pain and suffering that they endured as slaves. It's the perfect picture of how hard life can be for us sometimes. Full of pain, full of suffering, unexpected surprises. Just look around, look at the news, and look inside yourself. Now, before they would eat any of the plate, which is what we're going to do here shortly, um, they would take the second cup, um, and they would say this. Uh, by the way, we've already talked about this, so it's not going to come as a shock to you that they would say something like this. They say, tradition teaches us that we are to look upon ourselves as having personally fled Egypt. So again, they're trying to make this as personal as possible, which is maybe hard for you to do, to think of yourself in that place. But it should be fairly easy for us to do. The fact that we were freed from sin was something that God did for you. It's very personal. So you can put that into context right there. But um, I need a guy to stand and take the second cup. So any guy, take his... Um... And this time, you'll all repeat, not just the guy, but you'll all repeat with me this prayer over the cup. Ready? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. This cup was taken to remember that God personally freed me from Egypt. So as you take it, it's going to be about God personally finding a way to give you freedom. Guys, go ahead and serve this once everybody has it. Then you can take the cup together. Yes, you can sit down after you've done that, guys. Thank you. All right, now we're entering a second time of thankfulness. So somebody please take the top piece of matzah and hold it in your hand. And we're all going to say a prayer together. Got your matzah? Okay. All right, we're getting there. Awesome. Okay, ready to say the prayer? Here we go. 
Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat matzah. Okay, if you would kindly break off a piece and pass it around your table, that would be great. But don't eat it yet. What comes next is a reminder of sin and slavery. And the blessing is said over the mara or the bitter herb. And when you get ready, we're going to say that next prayer. Got it? Okay, ready for the prayer? Here we go. Blessed, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his laws and commanded us to eat bitter herbs. What? He's commanded us to eat bitter herbs, and here we go. You're well, going to take give, that, but don't eat it yet. Have they put the bitter herbs on their cracker Oh, yet? yes. Please put the bitter herbs on your cracker. My lovely husband did that for me. Please put some yeah, on give your them a chance to do that. matzah bread, and be careful not to put too much on your bread or on your matzah. Yeah, this is real stuff. Yeah, spicy. Now, don't eat it yet. Don't yeah, eat yeah, it, because yeah. there's, it there's a matzah. significant thing that has to happen here. Yes. Just get it all ready. As I see you guys, as your tables are ready, then we'll do the next step. Okay. This next thing that we do is to remind us that we don't always get to choose the bitterness in life that we carry. So you're going to pass it two people to your right. And then eat it as a group together. Oh. <laughs> little spicy if you're not enjoying it it's not supposed to be enjoyable right it's meant to conjure up an image of what slavery and sin does it's not good but don't worry there's some relief on the way so for those of you who are choking and coughing up now, that's all right. Have somebody at your table take the bottom piece of matzah. There's three. One, two, three. Take the bottom piece of matzah out. And we're going to break that off. And you want a little bit, a bigger piece of that. So pass that around and get a little bigger piece because you're about to get some relief. There's an apple mixture that's got uh, raisin, cinnamon, all that kinds of stuff that would have symbolized the mortar that the children of Israel had to make when they were in Egypt. And uh, it's kind of weird that it's sweet, but the reason they did that is they wanted people to understand that even your bitter moments could be made sweet by God. And so they would take this memory of this, of this slavery of making this mortar, they would pile it on their cracker, and when you get that, then you would eat it, and you'll get some relief from the bitterness. So you can go ahead and do that. Good stuff. Okay, next, if someone at your table could locate the egg and start peeling it, that would be great. Now, this item was added to the plate around 70 AD. Does anyone remember what the significance of that date was in history? Rome destroyed the temple. 
So their sacred place to make sacrifice was sacrifices were destroyed. The brown egg was a symbol for the burnt offering, thus the color. And once the egg is peeled, you're going to divide it up between everyone. It's the second item dipped in the salt water as an expression of sadness that they can no longer sacrifice in their temple. So Early, give everybody a chance to do that. Yep, go ahead and peel it and get ready to divide it up between your table members. All right, you can choose whatever you want there. Thanks. Mm -mm. Ah! Okay, don't eat it yet. You got to dip it. You I know. Dip. We, I, we, yes, I'm a little slow. Okay, so then you're going to take the egg and dip that in the salt water to remember the tears and the sacrifice and the fact that we no longer have to sacrifice the lamb that came into our home who actually comes into our heart because he already did it. He died for you and he died for me. And go ahead and eat that after you dip it. Don't be afraid of the shells. All right, well, you're getting there, you're getting there. I can see everybody's almost done with that part. Okay, now at this point, they would actually have a very big meal. Uh, they would probably serve lamb, have a, a lot of food. It would take a while. Like Tracy said, this is a three-hour three meal, so part of that is going to be them eating and just enjoying each other's time. And we're going to fast forward through that, and we're going to get to the end of that. And the youngest person who set that matzah off to the side, if they could recover that right now, if they could reach back out and take that matzah that they had broken off out of the middle piece and bring it back, this would have actually been given, um, like they would receive a reward for this, for doing this. They would go hide it in the house and bring it back. And this would be eaten like it's dessert at that part in the meal. And we're going to do something with it instead. Like I said, nobody knows when this was started, when that middle piece was broken and taken away. But if you're thinking imagery, I want you to think about this for a little bit. There are three pieces of matzah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The middle one, Son, broken, taken away, and then returned. I, I'm, I'm convinced that this probably started sometime um, after Jesus where Jews who were still practicing the Passover were trying to remember Jesus. And so they incorporated this sort of thing. So what we want you to do is we want you to take, and don't eat this yet, but take and break off a piece of this and pass it around and everybody take a piece of that broken returned matzah. We're going to take this with a third cup in a little bit, so just break it off, and then there, then you can set it right there. Okay, we're going to get ready. There's a prayer that's going to be recited at the end of the meal, 
And after the, that prayer, the third cup will be taken with our matzah. So if you'd kindly take the third cup and pour it into the smaller cups around your table, that'll be great. Give them time to do it. Yep. Yeah, after they get it done. The prayer at the end of the meal is kind of long, so I'm going to go ahead and read through it, and then at the very last line, it will be up on the screen, and I'll stop before we say it all together, but I'll start it. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sustains the entire world with goodness, grace, loving kindness, and compassion. He gives bread to all, for his grace is everlasting. And in his great goodness, we have never lacked anything, and we will never be deprived of food for the sake of his great name. For he is a God who provides for all and does good for all and prepares food for all his creatures that he created. Blessed are you, Lord, who provides for all. God and God of our ancestors, may you remember us this day of Passover to bless us with kindness and mercy for a life of peace and happiness. We pray that he who establishes peace in the heavens grants peace for us, for all of Israel, for all of mankind. Let us say amen. Amen. And now together we'll read this last line. Blessed Blessed are you, Lord our God, King King of the the universe. universe, who who creates creates the fruit of the vine. Honey, let me take it from here. Um, For them, the taking of this um, is a plea for a hope that the Messiah would eventually show up. That is not our hope. We believe that Jesus has shown up, that he's represented in that afikomen, and so here's what I would like to offer you instead. We, uh, we take communion around here and we say this when we do it. And I, wanted, I want to do this right now. I want, as you take this, for you to consider the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. And in so doing, take the third cup and the afikomen. So, so far, we've tackled everything on the table. Not thoroughly, obviously. We didn't take as much time as they would. But there's one thing that hasn't been touched. It's the fourth cup. The fourth cup would um, remain filled, sitting at the table. At um, a Jewish home, there would be an empty chair that would be at the table. And that cup... And that empty chair were intended for Elijah. Uh, They wanted Elijah to return and represent the Messiah who would come. Uh, Band, if you would get ready to um, lead us out with that last song. For us, um, that's just not the case. John 1.29 says this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
Our lamb came. Our lamb was sacrificed. The blood was shed so that we could get protection and freedom. We're not, we're not waiting for something to happen. We're celebrating the fact that something does happen. And as you look forward to Easter, I hope you'll use this meal and all of the imagery and the, the recollection that it's about you personally to prepare you for the celebration that Easter has for us. Would you pray with me? Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who gives us good things, freedom, things that we could not do on our own, you have supplied. God, the amount of love you have shows up in a ritual that's been around for 3,500 years that revealed that your heart was going to set out to rescue us, to provide a sacrifice, to give us hope, to give us freedom, and to live in that freedom. God, I ask that we would remember that this is not just some story from the history. This is our story. We are personally living it. May it change the way we live and move and have our beings. We ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I hope you'll come back and celebrate Easter with us next week. Thanks for um, being willing to do something a little bit different today. Uh, thanks again for being here.